everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi everyone, it's Eva here. I'm the Farmer and Partner Development Manager with Farm Commons, and we're back today to discuss legal risk management for your farm during the COVID-19 crisis. Farmers, we know you all are going through daily changes on your farms as you pivot sales and production to meet shifting demand and regulations. You've had many questions for us in the process, and our team at Farm Commons is doing our very best to respond through this podcast series and through webinars and other print materials that you can find on our website. And today I'm back with our executive director, Rachel Armstrong, to discuss launching a community-supported agriculture program, or um, CSA as it's commonly known, um, during COVID-19 time. And this episode is actually a follow-up to our one-hour webinar that we hosted yesterday on May 14th, um, which is now available for free viewing on our website if you are interested in checking that out. And so as farmers markets and restaurants and other institutional buyers have um, closed or changed operations, many of you farmers are now pivoting to the community supported agriculture model, um, which is great. There's been an an influx in consumer demand for local healthy foods. um, And so we're hearing from many farmers and and communities that their CSA programs are selling out. But what does it mean to be launching a CSA during COVID time, especially if you have never run a CSA before um, and you're quickly getting a program together right now at the almost the height of the growing season? Um, Well, we're going to unpack a bit of what what you should be considering um, regarding the law in, in Rachel and I's conversation today. So, hey, Rachel, thanks for being on the line. Absolutely. This is a great conversation. I am a big fan of CSA. But Eva, you know, we lawyer types, we attorney types, we love a definition. And we haven't quite gotten into that. You've alluded to, you know, CSA is in high demand. um, But but let's start with, with the definition. What really is CSA? And then let's talk about some of the legal implications of that. Yeah, that's a great place to start. What are we talking about here? What is CSA? Um, well, uh, for me, and I speak from a, both a farm commons place and a personal place. Um, I used to run a small CSA operation here in North Carolina, and um, I quickly learned that there's a, the law has a lot to do with CSA, um, and that's because it's, it's, it's a relationship. CSA is both a marketing strategy um, where it's a business relationship where customers will buy a share of the harvest ahead of anything coming in from the field and the farmer makes a commitment to the member um, or the customer. Um, Some of the terminology can get kind of skewed with CSA. The customers are buying in to be members of the program um, and that's part of the marketing strategy and so Um, There is a philosophy that comes along with it where 
the, the risk of growing um, on the farm, the produce, the fruit, the livestock and all that shouldn't just be shared by the farmer. It should be shared um, with all involved and that includes the eaters. And so what a CSA really is, legally speaking, it is an agreement. The, the customer is paying for an agreement to receive food from the farm and the farmer is agreeing to provide that food. And so that's really the legal basis for a CSA. That's pre it's pretty cool. And I would say there's not a lot of other transactional relationships in our lives that really have the same philosophy behind them um, as CSA. It's a unique, it's a unique uh, transaction from a legal from a legal perspective for that reason. But to build on that, to build on the legal characteristics of CSA, let's say we have uh, we have farmers who are listening um, that are trying to pivot maybe from a restaurant market or from farmers market sales to CSA, or folks that have maybe been dabbling in CSA but now want to really ramp up that side of their of their marketing and their farm business model. Uh, what should those folks keep in mind, legally speaking? Yeah, great, great question, Rachel. And um, what I said before that the law has something to say here because it's a relationship. Um, I say that because the law in its essence is what we agree to do to and for each other. And oftentimes that can be written down, but sometimes it's not. And with CSA, there are um, some really important nuances about this, this business model um, that are legal nuances that I like to explain as the four P's um, and not to be confused with PPP that everyone's talking about with federal money. That is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, the four P's being payment, proximity, procurement, and pickup. Um, those four aspects of the CSA model are very different than say, um, selling at a farmer's market to restaurants, wholesale buyers, um, and that's because payment is different. It's usually um, a lump sum payment that the farmer is receiving um, from many customers at once before any product has been dispersed. Um, and the customers, again, they're paying for, for an agreement that that product will be dispersed on a schedule that's again, agreed upon, lots of agreements here. Um, and the, the proximity between the, the CSA member and the farmer is, it really is as close as you can get, like it is direct to the consumer. Um, product goes straight from the farm and to a basket, box, crate, what, whatever the farmer wants to put the stuff in and it goes to the, the, the member. So direct to the, to the family, the household person who's, who's buying that produce. Um, and so because of that, there's a direct path for traceability. Um, and for procurement, CSAs are super creative and wonderful in that they can offer a diversity of products, um, not just from that one farm. We, we see multi-farm CSAs all around the country where um, maybe one farm's super good at growing cut flowers and another one has it down with the tomatoes and the peppers and the eggplant. And another one does really good on herbs. And so they group together, make a multi, um, farm CSA happen, they're procuring products from each of the different farms. And hey, maybe, you know, there's a coffee roaster in town and they say, our members need coffee. <laughs> and so they source um, coffee and offer that as an add-on. And so that procurement is great in that it offers diversity to the customers. But again, at each of those points where someone new is involved, that's another relationship. And so that's a, a point where there there is um, 
a legal aspect and therefore some risk there that we need to we need to pay attention to. Um, and the last one is I would say pickup. Um, I don't know many other business models where you pick up um, what you're buying on a farm or at some some other agreed upon place. And so um, navigating, setting up a pickup spot on your farm and um, some of the, the legal considerations there are zoning and insurance for your visitors. And then also um, if you are driving somewhere and dropping off and people are picking up from say, one of your members front porches or um, a park, uh, you're gonna wanna know what the neighbors and the park people have to say about that pickup. Um, what do you think, Rachel? Are there other areas that we should flesh out? No, I, I absolutely think you covered it. You hinted at a legal issue that I'd love to talk more about though. When you say proximity and pickup, you're talking mm -hmm. about the very close link between the producer and the person consuming that food. These are the times of COVID-19. Proximity, we're all social distancing. We're not, we're not interested in proximity, right? And when you're saying pick up and you're reminding me of, of porches and boxes and going to someone's house, I'm reminded that we're not supposed to be doing that either. Can you speak to transmission of COVID-19 for folks that are you know, getting into CSA? Is that a risk? What should we be doing about that risk? How should we be thinking about that right now? Yeah, ooh, really, really good question and um, pertinent to the times that we're in. And um, COVID transmission and virus transmission is very real. It is happening. People are getting sick and dying, and we definitely want to like shed light on that very harsh reality. Um, and you're right, people dropping things off and picking up and being in close proximity to each other is a risk. Um, however, when we're when we at Farm Commons are talking about legal risk we we also understand that within the realm of management how are we managing that risk and what is the likelihood of something bad happening and if it does happen what's the scope of the harm that it can cause and and are we prepared for that or not um, and so with covid transmission risks and the close proximity of csa's um, Sure, someone could cough on you or sneeze on you and the virus could spread from maybe a staff person to um, a member and uh, maybe that happens to multiple people who are involved with a farm. And so there is some some liability there for, for the farm being a source of spreading the virus, but there's, there's currently no basis for what that liability actually is. And um, Rachel, I've, I'm wondering if you've heard of any new developments with COVID transmission and business liability specifically and um, what farmers should be thinking about when they are making those, those drop-offs or hosting pickup. Right. There are a few active lawsuits out there right now that, uh, that claim liability for COVID transmission. Whether or not those lawsuits will be successful remains to be seen, but they are, they are, they are quite different than what's happening in a CSA context. Uh, the existing lawsuits that we have, there are things like cruise ships, you know, we know that people were, you know, locked together in a contained environment. We know that there was, you know, a, a, a virus vector that was, that was, you know, on board the cruise ship and that that's why people got it and no one else entered. That's very different than what's happening in the CSA context. 
lot of people coming and going. There's passersby on the sidewalk. You know, maybe someone just came to the, from the grocery store. The situation is so much more fluid and dynamic than you experience on a, on a cruise ship. It's very difficult to establish that direct liability that, that goes with, with proximity. So I think for the most part, our CSA producers need to keep that in mind. You know, they need to bear in mind that, that they, are, they are moving in an environment that can cause transmission, but that they are, it is not likely to translate into legal liability for that, for that transmission, simply because it's gonna be really hard to trace. Mm-hmm. You know, folks are, are coming and going from a lot of different environments right now and, and um, COVID doesn't have, you know, a, a fingerprint necessarily that we can track and figure out where it, where it came from. So that's, um, that's part of the reality of, of, of what it means to file a lawsuit and when you can actually establish uh, liability. Right. So the legal risk right now for COVID transmission is remote, but the public health and safety risk is very real. Um, And so all you farmers out there, as you're in the process of running your CSAs or setting them up, do be paying attention to best practices um, and guidelines issued by the Center for Disease Control at the federal level, and then also um, industry-wide for agriculture. And so Extension is an excellent place to go looking for um, COVID uh, food safety guidance. Um, I know for a fact that North Carolina Extension and Georgia, University of Georgia Extension have put together some guides specific to um, COVID uh, sanitation practices on farm for produce farms, you pick farms, farm stands, agribusiness, um, and farmers markets. So um, there, there is a a, a test for negligence if we're going to legal speak and we are farm commons so we'll do a little bit about that um where uh someone is this is again very basic general terms um if to answer the question is someone negligent is a farmer negligent and the the process to go through to answer that question is to ask well did he or she act um in a way that the uh, another farmer in similar circumstances, another reasonable farmer in cer- similar circumstances would have acted. And so if we take that test or logic path to apply to this situation um, about COVID transmission and liability, um, and we assume that that will hold, we'll want to make sure we're doing what, what other farmers and other agricultural educators are, are guiding us to do as, as to what best practices are right now. So um, I always like to say we, we can only do our best, and so long as we can do our best to move forward, I think that's a good thing. Good deal. Good deal. Well, let's dig in a little deeper on the first P that you brought up, payment. Okay. I think one of the neat things about CSA is the idea that you are investing in a farm, that you are committing to it. Um, you're, you're, to use the phrase, putting skin in the game, and you're at risk. There could be a risk that the farmer suffers a crop failure, um, and now, now we don't have any tomatoes. What does that mean in a COVID-19 context? Uh, what is at risk and what should farmers be be thinking about when they are are thinking about risk and reward on their CSAs right now? Yeah, the principle of sharing risk and reward is core to a lot of CSAs. Some CSAs don't don't choose to include that in their programming. Um, but part of that 
um, sharing the risk of what the farmer goes through um, with the eaters as well is that um, crop failure does happen. Um, disease on the farm does happen and that isn't just to the crops right now it's also to people and so if a farmer has some staff people who fall ill and have to go on um, paid sick leave or stay home um, then especially if they're on paid sick leave that farmer likely will not be able to afford hiring new people and so the risk now is the work not being able to get done because people are getting sick and so CSA farmers need to be asking um, is that risk shared? Is the risk of work not getting done and the CSA ending, you know, two or three months early or even just one month early, is that risk shared? And if so, is it okay? Um, and we, um, you know, we don't have the answers for you. That is something that's gonna vary um, based on on your community, your farm, your your tolerance for what might be possible. Um, and but it is an important question to ask. Um, yeah, what might that look like? And so yesterday's webinar, we went through a story about um, a farmer who had that same situation happen. One employee fell ill and another employee had a child home from school because schools were closed and couldn't have, um, didn't have any other childcare options. And so even though the farmer had sold out on all the CSA shares um, and they were able to pay for those two employees to go on um, sick leave, they weren't able to afford to bring on new hires to get the work done. And so CSA ended early. Um, and so that's a very real risk right now that, that farmers will want to consider as you're setting up your CSAs and maybe reviewing existing member agreements and making things clear in COVID terms. Um, and if you haven't already, this is a great opportunity to draft one up and, and make that clear to your membership. I always like an action step. For me, the law is meaningless unless there's something I'm supposed to do about it. So what I'm hearing you say is, uh, if I'm a farmer who is uh, shifting to CSA because of COVID-19, I really need to think about getting an articulation of shared risk and reward in writing. And I need to specify, both in my own mind and for my customer's sake, whether or not we're sharing in the risk that staff might get sick and, mm -hmm. and product goes unharvested. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is, if you walk away from this podcast and the webinar yesterday with an action step, it is to draft up a CSA member agreement and get that in writing. And I would say even before accepting payment, um, and I realize that's not, probably not possible for many of you who have pivoted already, but um, if it is, we have a great resource, actually a couple of them on our website. Um, we have a CSA member agreement workbook that will walk you through the different questions you'll want to consider as you're drafting up your, your member agreement. And then as a complement to that, that resource, we also have a holistic guide on other considerations for CSA, such as um, procurement from different farms and food safety liability um, and licensing and also insurance considerations um, and that resource is called building a legally resilient CSA workbook um, and so both of those are available on our website for free download and you can watch the full webinar from yesterday and then work through those those two resources but yeah as Rachel said the action step um, is what backs up the the legal management and the one here is to to get that CSA member agreement down in writing so that um, your customers who buy in and become members know exactly what they're signing up for awesome so we've got an action step to write a clear member agreement I also heard an action step a little while back, of course, to make sure that we are being safe 
even if we're not going to be legally liable for transmission of COVID, mm -hmm. we certainly don't want that to occur. So we're going to do our best to, to make things um, safe and clean for our, for our customers. Other action steps, do you have anything else that you can recommend for farmers that are shifting to a, to a CSA model right now? Oh yeah, and it has to do with that last P, pickup. Um, and so for pickup on the farm, um, if you have you know, a few people coming out and they're gathering at a central place on your farm, um, that could be seen as a farm stand or some other commercial operation. Um, and so you will want to check the zoning code to see what it says about um, CSA pickup. And mind you, CSA is far, far ahead of many zoning codes. So you're not, you won't necessarily see, see CSA written in the code, but you, you'll be wanting to look for um, farm stand language and whether those are allowed or disallowed um, or not mentioned. And either way, you'll, you'll be more confident and um, more resilient, legally resilient for having that awareness as you, you host that farm stand um, on your farm or CSA pickup. And then for um, dropping off shares and having your pickup elsewhere, you'll also want to look into the zoning code, especially in residential areas. You know, people who, who move to a neighborhood that's residential aren't necessarily buying into or signing on to 20 people showing up all of a sudden at their neighbor's porch to pick up bags and they don't know what's in those bags necessarily. And so um, to, to prepare yourself and um, have a ready answer if the neighbor gets a little twitchy and makes a challenge, um, you'll say, hey, it, it says farm stands are okay in this zone. Or um, if you know that they are not, they're specifically disallowed, um, you'll know to quickly shuffle away <laughs> or make other plans for a different drop-off site. Um, and if they're not mentioned, you know, you'll be more, more confident knowing that too. So you can practice your negotiation skills. Um, and with drop-off, um, another uh, legal consideration is... Um, injuries to both the farm vehicle and also the driver. And so you'll wanna look into auto insurance to make sure that that farm vehicle is covered, especially if employees are driving it. Um, and um, if they are employees, you'll also want to make sure that they are covered um, for, for any possible injuries. And I will say, if you have no employees and you're the one trucking around the van and the different shares to different locations, um, you might wanna also look into coverage um, for your injuries. Um, we have seen that it is common for, for individual health insurance policies to exclude coverage for injuries that happen in the course of self-employment. So um, all good things to look into and, and make sure that you are um, setting yourself up for the, the best and most stable CSA program that you can. I think that's a, that's a really important takeaway point too. Uh, in an ideal world, folks that are, that are adapting their business model to CSA are gonna find success. They're gonna be happy, their customers are gonna be happy and CSA is gonna be a viable option for them, um, you know, not just during COVID-19, but you know, one year, five years later, uh, that we're going to attract these customers, keep them, um, and develop something something that will last. And I think when when we're, when we're when we have that as a goal in mind, we want to build something that, that will last. Mm -hmm. It's worth it to make these investments upfront. Uh, you know, have we checked our zoning codes? Do we have insurance? Um, you know, all of all of that good stuff to make sure that we're not building something that's going to get threatened um, shortly down the line. 
Yeah, absolutely. I want to build it up for maximum strength in the long run so that um, your CSA program can can continue um, into post-pandemic times. And we look forward to, do, to those for sure. Do we ever. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Rachel. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Till next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening, and keep on growing.